0: French President Macron, among the foremost defenders in the world of the neoliberal economic model, was dealt a major blow in last weekend's legislative election and lost his majority in parliament. Around the globe, this type of pro-corporate establishment politics that has dominated for decades is becoming deeply delegitimized. But will the left or the fascist right step in to fill the void we need a new system we need a new society we need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago but is not only realizable but an imperative necessity We are happy to have Professor Richard Wolf join us again for our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week. Thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash the socialist program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to this show. Richard Wolff is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work. He's the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System, When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. There's a new hard copy edition of Professor Wolff's book, Understanding Marxism, it's been released recently. It features a new lengthy introduction, strengthening the case for why Marxism is indeed worth understanding. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's r-d-w-o-l-f-f.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back.
1: Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here.
0: Professor Wolf, there's Macron, the neoliberal pro capitalist president of France. He's been a dominant figure within the EU for several years. The election results by the party and by the alliances show that the left gained a lot in the election, but so did the right at the expense of the so-called center. And the center, I guess, is, I would say, a misleading term because Macron's policies historically in France would be considered very, very right wing, especially when it comes to policies aimed at the working class or social programs that were achieved in the past that mitigated some of the worst effects of capitalism for the working class and for the poor. But I know you follow events closely in France, and we've talked about French politics before. Of course, the French Revolution that began in 1789 and stretched out for many years was a a world-shaping event, certainly Ah, uh, change the face of European politics and ultimately the politics of the world. So what happens in France politically sometimes has great historic and global impact. It's also frequently a harbinger. Anyway, I want to get your thoughts about the recent election.
1: Well, thank you for asking. I like the way you introduced this because I do happen to think about this election as having more of a impact on France, on Europe, and beyond. It is a watershed on a number of levels. And I think particularly Americans ought to pay immensely close attention to what has gone on and what now will go on. And I'm going to do this step by step because these different layers and the total effect will will be the thing that I want people to leave this, this program with. Okay, so number one, an argument has been made, including in France, that politics has shifted so far to the right in the Western world that the basic outline of what the struggle is was captured in the presidential elections in France six or seven weeks ago. And in those elections, again, a a two-election series, everybody runs, and then the top two vote-getters have a runoff a week or two later. The race was between Macron, roughly presenting the center-right, and Marine Le Pen, who is the far-right in France. And that was the election, and Macron won quite handily, and we went on to hear endless commentary about how the basic political layout of France was the center-right versus the extreme-right. And that's not so far wrong in terms of how you would characterize the United States, where the center-right is the Republican and Democratic Party establishments, including Mr. Biden, and then the far-right would be Mr. Trump and the people around him. Well. All of those commentaries were stone-cold wrong, and what they didn't understand was the depth and breadth of support for not only left-wing alternatives to Macron and Le Pen, but far-left, that is, not center-left, but really left, or what the media prefers to call, particularly in this country, the quote-unquote hard left, whatever exactly that's supposed to mean. But it certainly isn't a compliment. What do I mean? The left had been fractured in France, as it has been. One of the things that can happen to you if you are out of power is that you can start fighting amongst yourselves rather than understanding what your main objective, your main political enemies really are. But after the presidential under the leadership of Jean-Luc Mélenchon, very important character now in French politics, as he already was, they got together, they overcame their divisions, and into these legislative elections for the parliament in France, a unified left presented itself. It includes As I'm speaking, it includes the French Communist Party, the French Socialist Party, the French Green Party, and the major component, the party of Mélenchon himself, which is called France Unbowed, La France Insoumise in French. So now the French people had what they've not had for a long time, a real, simple, clear, direct choice. In the middle, the sitting President Macron. To his right, the right wing of Marine Le Pen, well known to the French people because she's been running and before her, her father ran. So this is a party well understood and well known by the French people. And then, this is a new thing, a unified left alternative. Mr. Mélenchon, as the alternative to Macron and the alternative to Le Pen. A clear choice. We don't have that in the United States. We don't have any anything like a clear presentation of left, right, and middle, and a chance to say, where do I, as an American voter, stand with this choice? Well, the French just had it last Sunday, and they're response is historic. First of all, they denied the sitting president, whom they have just reelected to be president, a parliamentary majority that he had had, that he had presumed he would get again. That was everybody or nearly everybody's prediction he would get again. He didn't get it and he didn't even get close. That's an amazing thing a drastic blow against anything remotely like a quote-unquote consensus of support for middle-of-the-road or center-right capitalism. That was rejected. And for people to understand, his party, the president's party, got 38.6% of the vote. We turn next to Mr. Mélenchon. We turn next because he's the second biggest political figure after the president in France as I'm speaking to you. Why? Because the unified left party, I won't go through its long name, it's known in France as NUPES, uh, which is an acronym, it's for the United Left, it's basically what it is, they got 31.6 percent. In other words, seven percent of French voters is the difference between Mr. Melanchon and Mr. Macron. Had Mr. Melanchon gotten eight percent more votes, or even only four percent if it came away from Mr. Macron, then you would have had a split in the French government, a right-wing president but a left-wing prime minister, and this is a left-wing prime minister, if it had been that way, who would be governing with the active participation and support, for example, of the French Communist Party. This is unprecedented. Here's what it shows us, that if you give a contemporary modern capitalist economic system a real chance to choose between the the middle-of-the-road establishment, the right-wing challenger, and the left-wing challenger. The left wing is by far the major opposition. Let me drive it home. What was the vote last Sunday in percentage terms given to Marine Le Pen and the the right wing? Remember, Macron got 38.6%. Mélenchon got 31.6 percent. Marine Le Pen got 17.3 percent. She's not even close. The left got just short of twice the vote from the French people that the right wing did. And this is very important information because the pessimism that there's only the right wing, or that only the right wing is active, or only the right wing can challenge the establishment, all of that kind of talk is over. It was shut down, closed off, and ended late Sunday night. And not just for France, but you can be very certain That in Germany, in Italy, in Scandinavia, even in Britain, this is being looked at and everybody's trying to figure out how far this left-wing wave will go and how fast. Last point. There was a high degree of abstention. Roughly half of the eligible French voters did not go to the polls. This continues a tradition, not only in France, but in most other countries, in which more and more people, particularly young people, draw the conclusion that the tired, old politics of the conventional parties, left, right, and center, has nothing to do with the reality of young people's lives, the difficulty of paying for and completing an education the crappy jobs available for you if you do, the debts you're going to accumulate, the dreams that you were encouraged to have and are now being shown will never be within your reach. That had turned off particularly young people. Part of the reason some of them went to the far right was because at least in some areas it was willing to break from the tired, old, and largely empty orthodoxies that most of the conventional political parties, left, right, and center, kept mouthing with the usual gap between what was promised during the election campaign and what was actually delivered by whichever party won. The far right was at least different, daring to say things that an awful lot of people thought But wouldn't say. That has shifted now completely. Yes, she keeps saying the right wing things, and they keep growing, and that has to be looked at and faced. She did get one in six French voters to vote for her. But the young abstainers were, in a sense, cut in half. Half of them got excited by the spectacle of the left coming together, of the end of what more and more French people saw as pointless squabbling over details when the house was burning down, and when what was needed was for the different parts of the left to get together. And this was felt by huge numbers of French people before they had the evidence we now have that if you get the French left together, it becomes one of the most powerful political forces in the whole country. Once again, the difference between Macron and Mélenchon, 7% of the electorate. Wow. So, here are some lessons. Number one, the two big problems of the left in France, which have been its major problems for decades— Those two problems were, one, unified organization, and number two, a clear, dramatic, different program that would excite people about the changes that it presaged and would get them mobilized and active. And what the French left has shown is that if you do it, if you make real steps around those two problems— There is no limit to what you can achieve. They organized and they unified. They ran an agreed slate of candidates. And as you could see, they come in with roughly one third of the vote of the French people. Beaten only by a sitting president supported by the overwhelming majority of the business community, the mass media, academia, and so forth. Now what about the second problem, a clear, differentiated program? Well I would judge the French left halfway home on that one. One half they got, one half they don't got. So what's they get? Well they pick the candidate who is not mild, who doesn't spout the kinds of bureaucraties political noise that passes for political rhetoric in our society. He is a strong, outspoken, to use the American language, hard left, and everybody knows it. He has to be understood as being halfway to somebody willing to say, we are going to change things. I'm going to give you only two examples from his political campaign to give you an idea. Mr. Macron, as well as every business commentator in France that I know of, and I read a lot of them. Everybody in France was supporting the idea that Mr. Macron was pushing to raise the age of retirement from the current 62 years of age on up to 65 or more. Mr. Mélenchon said, let's be clear, if I'm the prime minister, the age of retirement is going to be reduced, not increased. We're going to go from 62 to 60. And we're doing it for two reasons, to do honor to those who have given a lifetime of work and, by giving them a good pension earlier, to open up millions of jobs for French young people who deserve them, and are not now getting them. Very clear, very strong, and in the context of French politics, quite something to do. But the second position that he also emphasized was even more daring. He addressed the question of inflation. And here, my American friends, pay some attention, please. Here's what he said. We need to handle inflation in the context of what has gone on for the last 40 years, which is a redistribution of wealth and income from the middle and the bottom to the people at the top. So we're going to attack inflation by reversing the redistribution. We are going to raise wages and salaries. And here it comes, folks. We are going to block any increases in prices. Prices will be frozen. Wages and salaries will go up. And that means you'll be able to afford more rather than what the inflation is doing to you, which is denying you the ability to afford as much this year as you were able to last year. No other politician dared go anywhere near as far as Mr. Mélenchon went, and the result was to give him way more support than people predicted he could or would get going in. The combination of the unity on the one hand and a daring going forward on the other were a very successful combination, but I said it was only half. Here's the other problem— And this is going to be one of the major tasks facing Mr. Mélenchon and his coalition. There's got to be a program, a basic program for the social change that they represent. If they want millions of French young people to leave the abstention camp and move into the NUPES, that's the name of the left, coalition. He can do it, but he has to be able to chart, express, and disseminate a clear notion of the basic changes they're going to bring to French society that will realize the kind of new world that voting for Melenchon brings us closer to. He has not done that. And I, I don't mind telling you I can only see one direction for that. Not the old socialism, have the government do some more things. That will only go part way. Huge numbers of people don't believe it will ever happen. They don't trust the promise. They don't see in it the commitment to basic change that they're looking for. So here's my suggestion to Mr. Melenchon. Businesses in France should be the priority to dramatically change them. Businesses should be democratized. That is, instead of having a tiny group of major shareholders or boards of directors or owners, a tiny minority in every enterprise running the show. Deciding what to produce, how to produce, where to produce, what to do with the profits. None of that's going to be handled that way anymore. Every enterprise is going to be a democratic community. One person, one vote. No matter what particular job you do, you will be part of a democratic community deciding what to produce, how to produce, where to produce, and, of course, how to divide the proceeds between wages and salaries and any other disbursement that democratically is agreeable. That would change the work life of everybody in France immediately. It would change the distribution of income and wealth, because instead of us having the grotesquely unequal distribution France has now, followed by immense fights over redistributing what should never have been distributed so unequally in the first place, we'll have a real program that changes everything and changes everybody's life. Not by the government, not in some distant abstract way, but in the daily nine-to-five reality of your job. I cannot tell you, other than hoping that my sense of all of this is coming across, the enormous steps in these directions that have now been accomplished. It is within Mr. Mélenchon's grasp to become the advocate, the mover and shaker of a fundamental program of social change against which, if the French electorate is any guide, neither the center-right nor the far-right can hold a candle because they don't offer an alternative solution, they offer no solution at all. Stay the course is what Mr. Macron offers, and that's been roundly rejected, and hate on immigrants, which is no program at all for the future of France other than to exclude people, which it can't do because its economy is already dependent on them and which is no way to shape a new society. It is rather holding on to some of the ugliest aspects of old societies. So I am enormously encouraged. Everybody should be. This is a really powerful signal everywhere in the world, including the United States, about what is possible for a unified left, and especially for one that is daring enough to have a program for basic change. Okay, Richard, I wanna just go over this, and
0: thank you very much for that presentation. I wanna go over it again for our audience in our last five minutes or so, because I think I wanna sort of pound it in a little bit, the points that you're making. Are the points that I think you're you're emphasizing, and correct me if if I'm not stating it properly. But one was one was the idea of unity of the left. Secondly, that the unity, unlike the unity in the left, which in the United States largely means the lowest common denominator, what you're arguing for is instead of like the mildest, most moderate, lowest common denominator kind of unity, that the unity is about a far-reaching political program that addresses the crisis that working-class people face, and that, that it's not simply demanding, say, in the case of France or in the case of the United States, you can make comparable demands, simply lowering the retirement age, something like that, or lowering the number of working hours. In other words, something even more profound, which is to go to the way work is organized. And by democratizing the workplace, by giving workers a place at the table where decisions are made, core decisions, that in fact becomes, in a way, a a transitional step. It's antithetical to the concept of existing capitalism where the board of directors or the, the CEO are making core decisions based on how to maximize profit for investors, that the workers who the employees at the place of of work actually have many other things to think about, not simply returns on investment. Maybe that's not even the number one point. So I think this is an important point because unity of the left around a radical program, not simply the lowest common denominator, not, you know, we're told like, how do you get unity? You have to water things down, water them down, water them down. That leads, I think, to a dead end. And then finally, I want to make this point and then get you to respond in our last couple minutes. You know, when you think back about French politics in particular, in the French Revolution, it went through many stages. It was drawn out over many years. There was the leadership of Marat. There was the leadership of Robespierre. Then finally, sort of after the Thermidor, the attempt to reverse Thermidor, which was the the leadership of the conspiracy of equals, Babouf, sort of a harbinger of modern-day communism. What those people said, that when you look at how they gained strength in the movement, it was around their program. It was around their political perspective, in particular, Marat or Babouf, where they had far-reaching, far-reaching radical solutions to the problems gripping French society at the time. And on that basis, They organized a whole new stage of the revolution and mobilization of the people. Ultimately, it went through ups and downs, ebbs and flows, you name it, all the zigzags. But I think it's so important because let's go back to that point. The program, what we say actually matters. The reason I think it's so important is that in America, the politics, because it's been issue oriented politics for a long time, is largely activist politics minus the program. And what I hear you saying is we have to put the program front and center. And I actually very much agree with that politically. Anyway, we'll give you the final word.
1: Yes, uh, we are in agreement, I think, uh, on the basic points. I would like to hammer it home in a slightly from a different angle. I think most Americans know that most Americans are very disaffected from politics. They don't believe the politicians, by and large if they do believe them, they believe most emphatically and most passionately in those that actually have the greatest commitment to something, whether it's a Trumpian imagery on the right or some kind of social movement impulses on the left. But nobody anymore takes seriously most of the programmatic discussion because they've learned it's empty. It's barely rhetoric. But whatever it is in the way of rhetoric, there's nothing behind it. Nothing ever happens. It makes very little difference on many, many levels, whether you have a Republican or a Democrat. And yes, you can convince yourself that on some issues it does make a difference. That's true enough. But you you focus on them because you've given up on anything more than that. You just want to hold on to the right to abortion, or you just want to hold on to the right to have a gun in the back of your truck or whatever it happens to be. But this is a sign that you're no longer engaged with basic issues, even though, of course, you care about them. The life you would lead if you were a a democratic member of a community running your workplace is radically different. And if If you haven't the imagination, but a political force comes along and adds it to your imagination by saying, that's what we're fighting for, you will see, I think here, what you saw in France, a kind of rapid discovery by large numbers of disaffected uninterested, apolitical people who are suddenly discovered, wait a minute, there is a social force that really is talking very differently, proposing a very different, wow, what might that mean for me if such a thing came to pass? You have to give people a reason to believe in you, American politics has given the American people a reason not to take it very seriously unless you are literally on the very fringe of the society and are barely on this side of fantasy. So I think that's another lesson of the French. Yes, put a big emphasis on a program, be daring, go out front, demand things, show that you are different from the stale old politics. The left can do that better than the right can because our programs are better and much of what they spew is fantasy of the good old days of MAGA and other things which don't bear much inspection and start to fall apart the minute you talk concretely.
0: Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work, the author of many books. The latest being the sickness is the system when capitalism fails to save us from pandemics or itself. We're also encouraging people to get a new hard copy edition of Professor Wolf's book Understanding Marxism. It has a new lengthy introduction, strengthening the case for why Marxism is indeed worth understanding. You can check out all of his work at rdwolf.com. That's rdwolf You're listening to The Socialist Program. We'll be back tomorrow. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram and watch video episodes of our in-depth show, The Real Story, every Wednesday at 7 p.m. Eastern on YouTube with our partner, Breakthrough News.